Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit Pew Podcast and this week's adult Bible study. We have a Romans study this week. I know it's been a couple weeks, but uh, everything went normal this weekend and so we had a Romans study. Chapter 11 kind of went back and touched a little bit on chapter 10. And uh, so let's jump in. Without further ado, let's talk Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 is where we are. We'll actually back up to Romans chapter 10 to catch up. I think Dad finished uh, two weeks ago, verse 13. Great verse, by the way, verse 13. No wonder he stopped there in part because it's such a great verse. And it's a verse that whenever I am taking someone, if someone comes and says, you know, I want to be, I want to be saved. I remember when Ryan's nephew and Cindy and Jim's uh, grandson, Ethan, wanted to be saved in that office over there. I took him through these verses and I ended on verse 13. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say that's where we finished. Um, and so it's such a great verse because it is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's some other verses that go with that, of course, much more to that, but that's where he finished. But then I'll just say, let's just look at the next few verses because they are important. We, we realize that people are dying all around us. There's death. There's people that in our culture today, very confused people that are, um, that, we're not we're kind of in that post-christian culture right now and so look at verse 14 with that in mind he says after talking about salvation he says how shall they call on him that's what he just said whosoever shall call upon him but now he says how shall they call on him whom they have not believed so they can't call on jesus if they don't believe in him by faith but then it says how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard so if they haven't heard of Jesus, how can they ever believe? And if they can't believe if they're not calling. So, so they haven't heard, he says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You go to a missions conference, you're going to hear these verses at some point, usually, because it's a talking about the fact that that we all believe, and we all would say we want people to be saved. And we would say it no matter what color your skin is or whatever, wherever you live, we want you to be saved. But how are they going to be saved unless someone is sharing with them the truth? And it's a lot of times, and I'm, I should say they, just to keep it broad, or I can speak of myself, we all want the other person to be telling someone about the gospel. Because it's a lot more comfortable for us if Jim's the one sharing the gospel than me. Because he gets all the questions, not me. And he gets the rejection, not me. My biggest fear is rejection. I hate rejection. I'll take heights. I don't like heights. but I don't know about snakes, though. I hate snakes. But, but I don't like rejection. And so trying to share the gospel, getting rejected, that's a difficult thing. Mike, do you have a question? Oh, man, you got that hand like that. I thought, here, Mike's coming with an early question. And uh, your arm's going to fall asleep. You keep it like that too long, all right? Just kidding. So, but he says, how are they ever going to... To know if we don't preach the gospel. Without a preacher, yes, it means you may say, well, that's what God's calling some people to do. But here he's just talking about someone who proclaims the gospel. We, we've got to, we are all to be proclaimers of the gospel, to share what God has done in our life with someone else. And so we ought to learn the basics of salvation, which we should know. But I mean, we ought to learn that. I remember when I, even when I went to Bible college, sitting down with a four by six card and writing out, kind of the play, the Romans road and the basics of it and thinking through all aspects of it so I could tell somebody. I would listen 
I would go with a, a guy, I don't have time to tell this story, but I would go with this guy, and I've told it before, but his name was Wes Helfenbein. He actually lives, I think, in northern, he did live in northern Indiana, and pastor, I haven't seen him in 20 years since college, basically. But that guy loved to tell people about Jesus. And at the time, I was scared to death to tell people about Jesus. But I'd be going door to door with him, and I would see people over here upstairs, and I would hope he didn't see those people upstairs. And he would see me go, Brad, let's go. And he would just go right to him and start talking. I'd be thinking, oh, no, here we go. And it would go great. And, but I would listen to him and how he talked to people, how he shared the gospel. I'd listen to Pastor Shuttler as he was preaching. How did he, how did he deliver the gospel to the crowd so that we could figure out how, if I'm going to be talking to people, what are the best ways to kind of break down some barriers? What are the best ways to present it to make it clear? And so you got you to get creative and think through that, but think through the scriptures and memorize them. But we are all to be proclaimers of the gospel. But it is also a good verse for missions saying we've got to take the gospel to all so they can all hear. They're not going to be, they're not going to be saved unless they hear. And then, uh, so just kind of reading down real quick, but Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why the word of God and the teaching and preaching of the word of God is so important. It's not what one man says. It's what does the Bible say? This is all that matters right here. Nothing I say necessarily unless I'm in backing it with the Bible or this is what matters. And so um, he goes down the rest of that and he's quoting what uh, Isaiah had said in verse 21 he says but to Israel he saith all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people and that's an important verse to read leading into chapter 11 because our context that we've been talking about in chapters 9 chapters 10 and chapters 11 have been Israel in a quick version if I could say it you remember we opened this whole book talking about uh, sin the sin of the Gentiles, the sin of the Jews, the sin of the whole world in the first few chapters. And then we move to salvation and how salvation is not by our works, but salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so that was chapters 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 6, we talked about sanctification. Now that I'm saved, how do I live the Christian life? I live the Christian life by faith. I got saved by faith. I live by faith, empowered by Jesus Christ. We talked about sanctification, but now in chapters 9, 10, and 11, we've been dealing with the sovereignty of God, talking about God's focus on Israel, because Paul himself was an Israel, Israelite, I should say, and they are God's elect people, but what is going on with them? Because Israel's feeling a little bit upset because these Gentiles are being saved. And so Paul had talked in chapter 9 about Israel's past. In chapter 10, about Israel's present, how they are rejecting him. And in chapter 11, now they're going to talk about Israel's future, how God will restore them one day. And so let's, we, we've got to just kind of dive in, all right? This is going to be some tricky verses. We're not going to go super deep into the weeds on all of them, but we need to see the overall context, because what is God doing with Israel today? I'm not looking at any Jews today. All you guys are Gentiles. So we could... I'm not, I'm not saying we would, but let me just say this. We could just skip this and say, hey, we're not Jews. They'll figure it out. We could, but they are God's chosen people. America needs to view Israel as God views Israel. I don't know that all of our leaders do, but they are God's chosen people. God loves them. What is God doing with Israel now? 
What is God's plan in their future? Let's get that. So chapter, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, I say, hath God cast away his people, Israel? God forbid. And then Paul says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's saying, has God cast away Israel? No, I'm an Israelite. I'm, I'm writing this to you. I haven't been cast away. And so he's going to spend the first 10 verses talk about how there is a remnant of Jews that are being saved. So let's just read the first 10 and then let me back up to some tricky verses here. He says in verse 2, God hath not cast away his people, Israel, which he foreknew. What not what the scripture saith of Elias, that's the Greek word for Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed all thy prophets and dig down thine altars. I am left alone and they seek my life. He's, he's referencing an Old Testament passage. Some of you, if you're following the reading plan with, with me in the new version, we've been kind of reading, we just read through some of Elijah's life. But there was a time when Elijah felt like he was the only one left that's following God. I'm the only one left, God. And God said, no, I've got 7,000 over here. I've got a remnant. You're not the only one. And so he's kind of referencing that phrase to say, hey, God always has a remnant. God always has some, some people. You're, they're, they're not alone. Paul's not the only Jew. These Jews he's writing to are not the only ones. And he says, so he's quoting that verse, and he's kind of referencing that story as, an, as a sermon illustration in a sense. Just like you're going to hear, hear illustrations today. He's using it as an illustration to say God always has a remnant for his people. Verse 3, uh, Lord, he says, Lord, they have killed their prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone. They seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time, now he's bringing it out of the illustration, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So he's, he's just defining grace for us again. He's saying salvation. There are some of the elect of Israel that are saved today. Just in our modern day, there's some Jews in churches today worshiping God. When I was down at Pensacola Christian College, the orchestra leader was a Jewish man that is led to the Lord by Pastor Scheller. There are Jewish people, believers today. There are missionaries. We have, we have missionaries, the Sassers to Israel today that are working. And we're, there's, there's starting churches in Israel for the Jews. That's a wonderful thing. There are Jews being saved today. How are they saved? Same way you and I are. It's grace by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. See, the Jews, and we're going to get into this, but the Jews are rejecting Jesus as the Messiah right now. They don't believe the Messiah has come. They're still waiting for the Messiah. And there's a remnant of them, though, that are saying, no, Jesus was the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament Scripture. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. And he is the one, and they place their faith in them, and they are saved. And so that happened. that has happened not by works, he says it's by grace. So verse 7 says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which seeketh for, so has Israel not got all the promises? But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Verse 8, According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made in a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back 
bow down their back all the way. Now let's go just, just for this sake so you understand why is God allowing them to be blinded to this? Why are there some that are not being saved? Why is this happening? Well, verse 20 tells us. It says, well, because of, what's that next? You don't have to say it out loud. Some people don't ever do it when we do that and it gets awkward, all right? So, so what is this next word? Well, because of their unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. He's talking to the Gentiles. He's saying, you guys are standing here by faith. They had unbelief. Be not high-minded or fear. I'll come back to that in a minute. But he's just saying, the reason why many of them are blinded right now is because they have hearts of unbelief and not hearts of faith. The only reason any of us are sitting in this room today is because we've, we have eyes of faith. We have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And the Jews are still God's chosen people, but that doesn't make them going to heaven. But right now, currently, they've been set aside. The focus has been on the Gentiles. The focus has been on the church. But the reason, because of unbelief. They've rejected the Messiah. They have rejected Jesus Christ. God still loves them. Paul loved them. He said that in chapter 10. He's saying that here. He said he loves these people, but they are rejecting the Messiah. But the remnant that have been saved, we've seen that in the first 10 verses, was according to grace. It was faith. They're, they're, it's, they, if a Jew came into this church today, on whatever today is, I was going to say the date. I don't even know the date. I've been off for a week, so I don't know the date. Okay. So if a Jew came into this church today, we wouldn't, go, we wouldn't all get weird and be like, oh, one of God's chosen people. Now I would, just because it's just kind of where I am. I wouldn't say it to him, but I'd be thinking it. But the only way that Jew that came in here, and I say that not in a derogatory way, but the only, I'm saying it is a distinctive way, the only way they are getting to heaven is by hearing the gospel today and placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Could they join the church because they're a Jew? Yes, they could join the church. God's focus is on the church. Right? They join the church. Does that take away then them being an Israel? No, they're still an Israelite. They have double, I don't say double blessings. It makes it think they just got it. They, they're in a cool situation because they're God's chosen people and they're part of the church, which God's working through right now. It's a wonderful thing, but they need to come by faith. And he's saying in this first part that God has a remnant. He, Paul pointed to himself as a remnant. He used Elijah, the illustration of the 7,000 in the first 10 verses as an illustration of a remnant. And he's saying, even now, there is a remnant. It means there's a small group of people that are saved in Jews. How many is that? We don't know. We don't know. Is there a cap? I don't think so. Because God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I just think there's a lot of Jews that are really hardened in their unbelief. But thank you that for, thankful for missionaries like the Sassers and others that are going and sharing the gospel with these Jews in a very difficult, very difficult, because the Jews are very religious. They're very proud of their, their ancestry and their Abraham and their relationship with the Bible. But what they fail to get is the Messiah has come. And so there's a remnant there. But he talks about in the next several verses, starting in verse 11, that there is going to be a future restoration of Israel, where they will be the focus. If you think about this, in the Old Testament, the focus was Israel and their faith, but there was a remnant of Gentiles, Ruth, and we can name others that were saved. In the New Testament, the focus has been the church, the Gentiles, and a little bit it's going to call the fullness of the Gentiles, but the focus has been on the Gentiles, and there's a remnant of Jews that are saved. The Sassers could probably tell us about some over there. But now one day in the future, the focus will turn back on Israel. Now during the tribulation period, it's going to turn back in a very negative way. 
But then the millennial kingdom, it will be the focus will be on the fulfillment of all the promises to these to these Jews during the thousand year reign, the millennial kingdom. So the focus will come back to them. Many Jews, 144,000 are going to be saved. Read the book of Revelation. Many Jews are going to be saved by faith. Some still will reject, but some are going to be saved. But starting in verse number 11, he's going to get into talking about branches and grafting. Is there anybody in here that grafts stuff into trees right now? Because you would be an expert on this. Didn't think so. So let's just wade through this together. Look at verse 11. I say then, have they, Israel, stumbled that they should fall? He's saying, have they stumbled to the point that they can't be retrieved? It's impossible for them to come back. They've fallen. And he says, God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. For to provoke them, the Jews, to jealousy. Can we word this another way? But though the, the fall of salvation has come to the class right here at Faith Baptist Church. Because Israel rejected the Messiah, the gospel has been opened up to everyone, the Gentiles, and we're all benefits of that, beneficiaries of that, or whatever the word is. We all benefit because of that. And now this age, he says, is to provoke the Jews to jealousy. It's to stir them up to see the truth. Verse 12. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of of the world, because the gospel is now to the world, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, us, how much more their fullness. When they are restored, how much better is this going to be? For I speak to you Gentiles in, in so much as I am an apostle of the Gentiles. He says, I'm reaching the Gentiles. We could go back to Acts 15 and see how Paul stood up for the Gentiles and said, hey, let them be saved. They're saved by faith just like we are. But he says, I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation or jealousy them which are my flesh, Jews like me, that, that might save some of them. He goes, I, still, I want to see them saved. So I'm trying to, to, to provoke them to jealousy so they understand when they, they're intrigued by it, we can share with them the gospel. We want them to be saved. He says, verse 15, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, Gentile, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root of the fatness of the olive tree boast not against the branches don't you get prideful against the jews the original natural branches on this tree but if thou boast thou bearest not the root you're forgetting the root of all of this but the root the, but but the root thee Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. You may say the branches, the natural branches are Israel. I'm going to come back to this illustration in a second. But you can say those natural branches were broken off so that we could be grafted in. Do you guys know, have you ever heard of at least grafting in branches to a tree? Have you at least heard of that? I, I kind of used to research, but I, I'm not an expert. So I'm going to say something right now that all you head nodders right now are going to be like, you're dead wrong and you're right. Okay, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm just going to use my little pea brain that didn't necessarily research this. So this is 20 years ago that I had this. And I'm just going to throw out a thought. Okay, so then go Wikipedia and that'll be right. But basically you can, 
you can try to, in a special way, graft in a branch, take a branch, graft it in. You got to do all this salve and wrap it, do all these things, and it can begin to fuse with the tree there. You can graft it in. Like I said, research it yourself. I've already offended Michelle. She's gone. I'm just, I'm just kidding. So, but he's saying there were natural branches on this tree, but the natural branches, because of what has happened, have been broken off. But now the Gentiles, he's using an illustration because this was more common in Israel. We don't do it in Cuna. So that's why it's not as natural to us. But they would understand this and be like, oh, yeah, grafted a wild branch in. Yeah, all the olive tree. They would just start, they'd be understanding all this. But he says, the Gentiles, you've been grafted into this tree, into Christ, into the gospel. And so the natural branches were Israel, the wild branches were the Gentiles. He talked about the lump earlier. It's basically what he was getting at in the idea there is that whatever God accepts in part, he's going to sanctify in the whole. In some debate, when he's talking about the roots and the fatness, whether that was in, in the first fruits, was that the patriarchs like the Ab- Jacob and Abraham and all them, or was it the first Jewish Christians like Paul himself in the church to age? It honestly doesn't matter. I mean, we, we don't know. The, the answer is we don't know. We can debate it if and whoever wants to. I mean, people like to do that stuff. But the truth is, we, we don't know. Either one, it just means this. Well, God is going to keep his promises just as he did. He's going to keep his promises to Abraham. He's going to keep his promises to David. He's going to He's going to work through even the new Christians, Jewish believers in the New Testament. He's going to fulfill the promises to the Jews that he has said but then he gives this warning to all of us we need to take heed he said hey gentiles don't you start thinking you're better than the jews he said hey he said don't don't you start saying well because of your failure now we are the folk no no no. don't be he said don't be doing that because the same god who broke off those branches can can take his hand of blessing away you know what i read when the bible whenever i see that god's hand has removed some something it's always bad. Whenever I see God's hand and his presence is in something, it's always good. Even remember, this is random illustration, but I think, and I may get some of the details wrong, but remember when the Ark of the Covenant, Uzzah, or Uzzah, Uzzah touched it and he died, so they got scared to death. And they just put it in this guy's house. If I, I want to say his name was Obed-Edom, but I may be wrong. But they just put it in his place, and David's like, let's just leave it there for now. I don't know what's going on. I just had a guy touch it. He died. I don't want to mess with it. You know what happened in that guy's house? Everything started blessing. Everything was going good. His cattle was going good. His crop, everything was going good just because the presence of God was there in some random guy, I think named Obed-Edom's house because the presence of God was there. And there's several passages when you see when the presence of God was somewhere, there was blessing. That's why you'll see the the old time writers, but even in the New Testament, talking about the hand of God. And you just hear some people pray, God, we want your hand on this service. Why do we want the hand of God or the presence of God? Because the guy standing in front of you can't bring anything outside of the hand of God. We need God's presence on this place. Our pastor, I can say because he's my dad, and I said it at my service a couple weeks ago, I love my dad. I think he loves this church. I think he he has a pastor's heart. But there's nothing in of him that's going to make a difference in this church. It's the word of God and the hand and the presence of God working through him. So we need the presence of God. And so that's why he's saying to us here in this morning, he says, hey, don't get prideful because you Gentiles are now grafted in. Because just as he did with the natural branches, he can do it with you. If we get full of pride, he says it's not anything special about you. But that's what all that context now brings us back to verse 20. He says, it's, it, he's basically saying it's not because you're special Gentiles in a necessarily sense. Because God loves us all. We're all special to him. But it's because of our faith 
That's what lack of faith is what got them cut off and face what brought you in. He says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest, you're here by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For, look at verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell. Severity, but toward thee, goodness. So God's very severe with Israel right now because of their unbelief. But right now he's very good to us because of our faith. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. So if they, if they come by faith, they'll be grafted in as well. For God is able to graft them in again. What, what hope for Israel? Man, if you could just get an Israelite to... They, they wouldn't believe Romans 11 initially. But if you can get them to see that Jesus is the Messiah from like Isaiah 53 and work in some of those passages, and then you bring them over here to Romans chapter 11, it witnessing to a Jew, it's a great passage to say, hey, you can be grafted in again. You're, you're welcome. And you know why you're welcome? Because anyone can come by faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus died for you, even a Jew. And so... Um, moving on a little bit here in this passage, I've kind of I haven't even looked down at my notes here for a second, but um, but then in the verses twenty five down through thirty two, he's just going to talk about there's going to be a final salvation for the Jews. They are going to be brought back into focus. And let me finish off the verses there, um, verse twenty four. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted in contrary to nature in the good olive tree how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree back into the relationship with god so verse 25 for i would not brethren that ye should be ignorant of the mystery lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles become in so there is a blindness right now, and for the most part in Israel's life, and 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 till the fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles. What is that time period? Probably from Pentecost, when we started to see many of the Gentiles be saved. The day of Pentecost till the rapture of the church, when we're taken up out of here, because at that point in the tribulation period, the focus is going to be on the Jews, and it's going to be in a very this, those seven years of tribulation, especially the last three and a half, is going to be very difficult for the Jewish nation. But then the second coming of Jesus and then the rest restoration of Israel is going to happen during the millennial kingdom. But he says in verse 26, this is, a, this is just a, just in listening to it, it's a tricky phrase. But I'll, I'll just read it to you quickly. It says, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion and deliver, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So does that mean every single Jew on the planet is going to be saved at some point? It's not necessarily what it means. The term all of Israel is an encompassing term, meaning all of Israel. All of Israel is going to be restored to all the promises. Everything is going to be available to them. But there's going to come a time in that tribulation period, in that second coming, where every Jew is going to realize, uh-oh, Jesus was the Messiah. He really was. Remember this passage that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Everybody's going to realize Jesus is the Messiah. Those that reject him right now, those that reject him later, they will all realize Jesus is the Messiah. 
all will be restored, all will be saved in the sense they all have the promises that were supposed to, they're available to Israel, fulfilled during the millennial kingdom. It's all going to be fulfilled. They're all going to realize it. Not all are going to believe, though. During the tribulation, 144,000 Jews get saved. We know about that. The two witnesses preach the gospel. Many get saved. There will be a restoration to the promises. Um, so, so in a sense, I think what he's referring to here is that all are going to see that the deliverer has come out of Zion. That's that Jesus was the deliverer. He says, "Turn away ungodliness for Jacob." He's going to he's going to bring many to faith. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Jesus has died. They're going to realize this at, at some point. We realize it now. But many of the Jews that reject are going to realize it at some point. Verse 28, And concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. They're still his elect. He loves them. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That's just this little phrase saying, hey, God's not going to change his mind. There are some that's called replacement theology. I won't get deep into this. Some believe that Israel's just done. This whole this this debunks it, in my opinion. But some believe Israel's just done and God's focus is on the church and maybe some Jews get saved, maybe not. But God's not going to work in Israel anymore, not during the tribulation, not during the millennial kingdom, doesn't care about Israel anymore. It's not, I don't believe that to be true. God is going to, he's got to fulfill his promises to them. And God will fulfill his promises to Israel. He hasn't replaced them, but right now the focus is on the church. And, and, and salvation is to all the world, including the Jews. But his gifts and his calling are not without repentance. It means he won't change mind. He'll come back. He will fulfill that. Verse 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. You, you're obtaining mercy because their unbelief, now the gospel's come to you. Even so, these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Now, now watch verse 32. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon, look at that next word, all. God wants to have mercy on all of them. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it's an individual responsibility of every Jew, of every Gentile, to, to receive Jesus Christ. He wants to have mercy upon all. He has died for all. We know that. And then by after saying that, Paul gets into a doxology. It's a time of praise. It's almost like when he talked about the mercy of God upon all, he just kind of stopped to give a little praise, and he ends this chapter with a praise. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are all of his judgments, and his ways are past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and shall be recompensed to him again? For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So basically this chapter is saying, hey, Israel has been set aside. They can still be saved by faith, but they've because of their unbelief, they've been set aside. There's a day when they will be brought back into restoration. All their promises will be fulfilled. They will all realize that Jesus was the Messiah. Even those that rejected will realize we were wrong. He is the Messiah. Some will believe, some still will reject, but they will be restored to all of that and they'll be the focus point one day. Again, by the way, even Gentiles will be saved during that time. The focus will be on Israel, but even some Gentiles will believe because the Bible, it says in Revelation, uh, I can't remember the exact wording of it now. I had it before we got in here because I was talking about it, but, it is, it, but even of all nations it talks about will be, will be saved. There'll be, there'll be Gentiles saved in that time. But for now, there are they're set aside 
But you and I, as Gentiles, we ought to rejoice in the fact that the gospel has come to us. Be thankful for God's mercy upon us. But don't get high-minded, he says. Because that goodness of God that's come to us can turn to that severity that's been shown to the Jews when we get proud and high-minded. Instead, I think we ought to have, like chapter 10 says, just a burden to share the gospel with everybody. Doesn't matter what color of the skin, doesn't matter what their nationality. We want to see the gospel go to everybody. So that's why we do missions, and that's why we witness, whatever, so that all might be saved. All right, let's pray.